drowning on dry land. The third episode, part six and seven. Part six, and how was your weekend? Sansony had bought concert tickets for herself and her friend Vivian for Friday night, and I was looking forward to a few hours of peace. Then, around six o'clock, she told me that the show had been canceled. I convinced myself that she had changed her plans because she didn't want to let me out of her sight. I accused her of lying. Then I called the venue. The announcement for the show was still on their answering machine because it had been a last-minute cancellation and the message hadn't been updated. She had been telling the truth, but I didn't know that until later. For the moment, it was more proof that she was out to get me. As my suspicions grew, I decided that she was trying to figure a way to get rid of me and that her weapon of choice was poison, specifically the bee pollen that she had introduced into our pantry. She had just begun adding it to our diet and it suddenly became clear to me that it was the deadly potion that she was employing and wait, had I ever seen her ingest any of it? I made her add a spoonful to a yogurt and eat it while I watched. Yes, I was already getting that crazy. Unable to handle my paranoia, she drove over to hang out with Vivian for a couple hours. I went to bed before she got home. I woke up very early and went online to book a hotel room for Saturday and Sunday night. I packed a bag and slipped out to hide it in the truck. It so happened that on that Saturday morning, I was scheduled to conduct a writing workshop. Sansony pleaded with me, but I would not allow her to go along or even drive herself there. It was going to be tough enough getting through it without her hovering about. I didn't tell her that I booked the room, and I planned to go there and hide out as soon as the workshop was over. It was being held far on the north end of town, and I headed out, giving myself extra time. I drove through the rainy Atlanta streets, barely holding it together. I had gone less than halfway when it became clear that I couldn't make the drive. After sitting for another few minutes, I called the president of the club who had hired me for the workshop and told him that I'd gotten some kind of bug and couldn't make it. He was completely understanding, bless him, and told me not to worry about canceling and to just get better. I started back home with the fever growing worse. A couple miles on, I pulled into a shopping center lot and phoned my daughter to come get me. And this is where Natalia comes on the scene and into the narrative. I get a call from Dad. He says that he's packed up his truck and needs to leave his house for a few weeks to take a break from Sansony. That she's so worried about his condition that it's making him crazy. He says that he tried to drive but can't make it very far and needs me to pick him up and take him to a hotel. I drive to him and find his truck. He's wearing giant headphones and very dark glasses. He gets into my car and seems exhausted. He tells me he needs to get to the extended stay hotel on Claremont, but doesn't want to leave his truck. We agree that I'll follow him to the hotel and I follow in my car for a while. We were only a few miles from the hotel 
but I couldn't face the traffic any longer. He turns into the parking lot of the shopping center with the Choco Latte. He says he can't make it the rest of the way. I drive him in my car to the hotel and agree to go get his truck later. When we arrive at the hotel, I need to do all the paperwork and signing and paying. I told her to explain to the front desk clerk that I was blind, hence the dark shades. Then we agreed that this would come off as ridiculous and settled on a vision problem. Stepping into the room was for me reaching the end of a tiresome journey. We get to his room and he immediately closes all the curtains and turns off all the lights. He's visibly relieved. Still, I'm starting to get very worried. He tells me that Sansony's turning all her friends against him. He says he needs to rest and tells me that I can leave and come back later with the truck. He tells me again that I can't tell anyone where he is. I sent Talia on her way, telling her not to fret. I knew if she told Sansony where I was, she would come there and then we'd have round seven or whatever it was. I continued to nurture this paranoia that I'd be in danger if she found me. Among the catalog of regrets that I hold from this time is that I placed Italia in an impossible situation. She understood that her first loyalty was to me, but Sansony was scared too, wanted to know what was happening, and wanted to help. I go home and call my mom because I have a gut feeling that something is wrong. I feel compelled to tell Sansony, but my dad was insisting that I don't speak with her. Sansony calls. I tell her that all I can say is that I know where he is and he is safe. Back when I had gone on book tours, I had always loved the anonymity of hotel rooms, the childish delight of stocking up on snacks and hiding from the world. But now, in that room, there was scant relief and the time just dragged on. Later that afternoon, Adam rides with me to get the truck. I give Dad the keys. He seems a lot better, so I'm less worried. I struggle through the afternoon, the evening, and a long night as time expanded and contracted. A minute lasted an hour, and then an hour lasted a few seconds. The television was too bright for my eyes. I tried Gideon's Bible, thinking I could find sympathetic vibes in the righteous railings of one of the Old Testament prophets reading wasn't any easier. I slept, woke up, slept some more. Soon, I told myself, soon I'll be able to escape. The first light of day brought me some peace. I went outside and walked around the Sunday silent grounds, then called Talia and asked her if she could come and help me go to the grocery store. Sunday is Adam's birthday. In the morning, I take him to go zip lining. Terrible timing, but I had booked it weeks in advance. We drive straight from the zip lining place to the hotel and take Dad to Kroger. He's still in big headphones and sunglasses. At the store, he's very confused. Wants shaving cream, but picks up hairspray. Acting very frantic. As we made our way up and down the aisles, I swore I heard them whispering and laughing chortling over my stupidity at not figuring it out until then. Now I knew that they were in on the plot. The twists and turns of the conspiracy were becoming more tangled and complex. 
what if this and what if that, and on and on. Back at his hotel, I help him carry grocery bags inside. Once in the room, he gives me a long talk about how big of a betrayal it would be if I told anyone where he is. I promise not to. I managed to get through the rest of Sunday lurking in the room and then venturing out for walks. And so the night passed as a long, strange dream. Part 7 Those whom the gods wish to destroy, they first make mad. It was Monday. I was up again before dawn and ready to make my way to our neighborhood, wait for Sansini to leave for work, grab some more of my stuff, and go. But because the lights of the cars out on the street were too intense, I couldn't leave until daylight. So I wandered the hotel parking lot some more until I saw the first rays of the sun, then ventured onto the four lane. I had to go to work, and Dad says he's going to spend the day looking for a new hotel. He wants to be closer to DSA because he has some resignation things to take care of. I made the short drive to the coffee shop, stopping twice along the way, and went inside, once again with my headphones and shades on, and once again getting the look from the woman behind the counter. Coffee in hand, I came out the door to see one of my students stopping there with her mom before school. She said hello with a puzzled look, I think, and I proceeded to tell her about my phantom eye condition and that I was going to the doctor and wouldn't be in class again that day. From the way she looked at me, I could have been speaking Albanian. They went on their way. It took me three tries to get out of the parking lot, and I wound my way home through the back streets. The 20-minute drive took over an hour. I parked a few blocks away and crept to the house. Our car was not in the driveway, and so I went in. I had just closed the door behind me when I thought I heard a car pull up. I scurried into the guest room and hid behind the door. Someone was in the house. I heard whispers and footsteps, and I was sure they were coming for me. I didn't know what it was at the time, but it was another round of AH, auditory hallucinations, my new friend. I lurked there for a half hour until the whispers subsided. Then I came back out. I was already exhausted and I decided to stay a while. I went online to book a room at a new hotel, this one closer to school, with a plan to leave town the next morning. I had no exact destination in mind. It would be north though, into the mountains. Maybe because I grew up in Pennsylvania woods that stretched for miles. The kind of a place where someone could get lost forever. Midday, he tells me that he found a hotel on Candler Road, but I didn't get the name or address. I couldn't get in the room until 3 o'clock, so I spent the rest of the day in the house, alert to any untoward sounds. Mid-afternoon arrived, and I really needed a nap. 
I knew that Sansony could come home anytime, so I left, found the truck, and drove to the hotel. When I pulled into the parking lot, I realized that I had left my cell phone in the house. Now I wonder if it was one of those subconscious things leaving a connection to my wife and my home. Sansony texts to tell me that he'd come home while she was at work. He's no longer there, but had left his phone. This is the first time that I'm truly terrified because I have no clue where he is and he doesn't have a phone on him. I raced back only to find the car in the driveway and Sansony there. She'd been worrying about me and had come home early. I get my keys and phone and begin walking to my car. My plan is to drive down Kindler Road and pull in every hotel parking lot I see to check for his truck. Right before I make it to my car, I get a text from Sansony. Hey, he's here for his phone. He says he's going to lay down for a minute in the guest room. I feel so much better. So yes, I decided to stay. Sansony texts back that he's acting manic, but that he's too tired to drive back to his hotel, so he's going to eat something and sleep at home. As the evening wore on, my vision became more skewed and I was hearing more things that weren't there, chatter that was louder but still not clear. Sansony and her friends were in the house, plotting, maybe to poison me with something else. Night came on and in the darkness the demons danced and sang, so I went out to face the danger and dispel it once and for all. I called out to Sansony, demanding that she come clean about her plans. She didn't understand what I was raving about. I was sure that she and whoever she was working with were planning to kill me. I lurched out of the house and stood in our driveway screeching at her. I did not believe her claims that there was no one in the house and told her to go back inside and open all the blinds and turn on all the lights. She did what I asked while I paced in front of the house. When she came back out, she had the sense to lock the door behind her. I cannot say what was the snap moment. As I stood at the end of our driveway, horrible things came out of my mouth, vile accusations that caused me to shudder to this day. I insulted and demeaned her, and my only saving grace was that there was no one else close enough to hear. That night will be a shameful secret, a dishonor that I will carry until the end of our days. One of more to come. At some point I couldn't take it anymore, turned away and went staggering up our street, shouting for someone to call 911, as if I needed rescuing. I tossed my cell phone into the bushes. The main road through our neighborhood was a half mile from our house and by the time I got there, sirens were howling. A block on, a police car pulled up across the street and an officer got out. Sir, what's your name? His voice was gentle. I told him and he said, David, can I talk to you so we can find out what's wrong? He started to cross over, and when he got within 10 feet, I could see the tag over his pocket. It was an Italian name, and I wanted to plead for some kind of ethnic sympathy, but there was no time for that. 
I had a major thoroughfare to navigate. So I told him, not now, and headed for the gas station in the Kroger parking lot. The street was a four lane, the lights were green, and cars and trucks were speeding by in both directions. Police cruisers rolled into the intersection, blocking the traffic. I reeled across the road and into the store parking lot and then round and round in diminishing circles until I was cornered. By then, an ambulance had arrived. The police surrounded me, got me inside, and strapped me to a gurney. What I recall is scolding the EMTs, telling them that what they were doing was a terrible mistake and could they please just take me home to my wife. I promised I'd be good. But there would be none of that. The ambulance pulled onto the street that I drove every day, and I could see out the back window our neighborhood shrinking from view. I whispered, please stop, as if I knew where I was heading. 